The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The 2017 season didn't start great for Kyle Busch. Zero wins in his first 20 Monster Energy Cup races and plenty of frustration. But in the last two months, the 2015 champion has caught fire. Three wins in the last eight races, including yesterday at Lab. Hi, everybody. Welcome into NASCAR America. Carol Amano and Nate Ryan with you. We're going to discuss Kyle Busch's win at Loudoun and also playoff implications as we head to an elimination race at Dover. But we start with a story that's continuing to make headlines. Over the weekend, President Trump spoke about protests during the national anthem at NFL games. The president said NFL team owners should fire or suspend players who kneel during the star-spangled banner. And this prompted a league-wide response from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, team owners, and the players themselves in NASCAR during during Sunday's pre-race ceremonies at New Hampshire, all drivers and team members stood during the anthem, which got this response from the president on Twitter today. So proud of NASCAR and its supporters and fans. They won't put up with disrespecting our country or our flag. They said it loud and clear. And they just before Sunday's race, a few of NASCAR's prominent team owners were also asked how they would handle the situation if one of their employees decided not to stand during the national anthem. Why don't you take us through what was said? Sure, Carolyn. We'll, we'll start with Richard Childress. He was asked what his team's policy would be on any employee who took a knee. He said, Anyone who kneeled on his team should get a bus ticket after the national anthem, implying that they would be fired immediately. He said that it was about respecting the country that we live in and the people who gave their lives for it if you were going to work for Richard Childress Racing. Richard Petty, the seven-time champion uh, affiliated with Richard Petty Motorsports, of course, he said that uh, he didn't agree with the uh, protest. He said that if you chose to kneel, that you shouldn't be in our country, period. Now, I should add here that uh, Andrew Merstein, who is actually the majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports, told ESPN.com that he didn't necessarily agree with all of Richard Petty's statement here. While he took issue with that form of protest of taking a knee, he said that he wouldn't fire an employee for doing it. He said he'd want to have a conversation with employees who, who chose that, that route, but that he didn't feel as if they should be fired for it. Now, Chip Ganassi, who is a Pittsburgh native, uh, still lives there, longtime sports fan of that city. He said that he agreed with what Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin had to say. He said he liked what Mike Tomlin had to say, which was that we're not going to let divisive times or divisive individuals affect our agenda. We're not participating in the anthem today, not to be disrespectful to the anthem, but to remove themselves, the players, from the circumstances surrounding the anthem controversy. So that was Chip Ganassi's opinion, Carolyn, siding with uh, the football coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers from his hometown. Well, NASCAR released a statement just a few hours ago on this issue as well, and they said sports are a unifying influence in our society, bringing, bringing people of differing backgrounds and beliefs together. Our respect for the national anthem has always been a hallmark of our pre-race events, thanks to the sacrifices of many. We live in a country of unparalleled freedoms and countless liberties, including the right to peacefully express 
one's opinion. And earlier today, during his weekly appearance on Sirius XM's The Morning Drive, NASCAR Executive Vice President Steve O'Donnell addressed whether NASCAR had a policy on the anthem. Take a listen. Well, I think it's something that, you know, we've always um, talked about in the industry as a sport. And I think if you look at our history, uh, Pete and, and, and Bagman, you know, we've always, as a sport, demonstrated a respect, uh, you know, for the American flag and, and the, the freedoms it represents. And, you know, we, we celebrate the service men and women that uh, have sacrificed to be part of that. And that's part of the sport. So from our standpoint, you know, we view ourselves as, as a sport and, uh, you know, want to continue to to celebrate the flag, but respect um, others' uh, opinions. So, Nate, your reaction uh, to the response from NASCAR and Steve O'Donnell? Right. Well, I think, Carolyn, here that NASCAR is threading the needle a bit. They understand that their longtime hardcore fan base likes the fact that honoring the military, the armed service branches, the servicemen and servicewomen who serve overseas has been a big part of the pre-race ceremonies and also honoring the flag as well. So I think that was uh, important for Steve O'Donnell to say that from the NASCAR perspective. But I think that NASCAR also is mindful of the fact that they're trying to grow audience and they're trying to grow fan base and they have struck a more inclusionary theme over the last decade, especially through programs such as Drive for Diversity to get more minorities involved in NASCAR racing. So I think that that was a nod to the fact that NASCAR wants to be more representative of the increasingly diverse population in America. And I think that's what Steve O'Donnell was getting at when he talked about that we need to respect others' opinions as well. Another piece of this is that some of NASCAR's biggest stars have taken to social media to express their views, including the sport's most popular driver. Dale Earnhardt Jr. quoted President Kennedy earlier today. He tweeted, all Americans are granted rights to peaceful protests. Those who make peaceful rights revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. And this from Brad Kozlowski, I can get behind trying to make the world a better place. Can't get behind putting down others and kneeling clearly does both. So multiple views have been expressed here, Nate, from those inside the sport as it relates to this topic. Yeah. And I think, Carolyn, if you look at what Dale Hunter Jr. said last um, month during the Charlottesville incidents, he was pr pretty much the only NASCAR driver who spoke out on that. And he tweeted at that time that hatred, bigotry, racism should have no place in our country, spread love and unity. And I think that his tweet today was pretty much an extension of the comments he had after Charlottesville last month. And then when you look at what Brad, Brad Kozlowski had to say, I think in that case, you're talking about this is a driver who flies the American flag outside of his car after his victories. He's established a charitable foundation that helps wounded veterans. He's spoken in the past that if he wasn't a race car driver, he would probably be serving in the military. So I, I think that is how you can appreciate there are two different points of view there. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to continue to monitor the reactions to this, and we will bring you any updates as they develop, as the story continues to unfold here. But when we come back, Steve Letarte and Parker Kligerman are going to join the show. We're going to discuss Kyle Busch's big win at Loudoun and the crash that impacted the playoffs. We will examine both of these storylines. When we come back, we're just getting started to stay with us. A picture-perfect day in the Granite State for racing. It's race two of the playoffs. 16 drivers with a shot at the championship. When you win, you advance. Green flag is in the air on race two of the playoffs. Martin Shrex Jr., those states' points continue to add up. And we have a wreck on the backstretch. in trouble. So it's Kevin Harvick, everyone trying to stop, but there's contact. The 41 gets into him, he couldn't see. The 78, 88 is backwards on the backstretch as well. On the last lap, 
of the stage. Vinnie Hamlin saying a moment ago he thinks he might have a vibration. I got a cop. Jimmy Hamlin making that decision to play it safe. Casey Kane slow and now stopping on the racetrack. But I'm not sure they don't have a broken suspension piece. He's held off the competition. Kyle Busch is going to win in the Granite State. Yeah, let's go, And with the win, Kyle Busch automatically advancing to the round of 12, joining Martin Truex Jr., who won last week at Chicagoland. And based on points, Kyle Larson and Brad Keselowski also advancing to the round of 12. So there's eight spots left to be filled as we head to an elimination race next weekend at Dover. And we welcome you back in, Carol Lamano, joined by Parker Kligerman now. And from Burton's Garage, we've got our crew chief, Steve Letarte, as well. So, Steve, we are heading to our first elimination race here. From a crew chief's perspective, can you tell us what is different about this week with so much on the line heading to Dover? Well, what's different about this week is for four teams, their playoff season ends. And while that seems silly, the pressure goes up. I mean, it's one thing to make the playoffs, but what a disappointment to be one of the first teams out. And that's what these teams are trying to avoid, unfortunately, Two cars have dug a hole and why mathematically they are not in a must-win situation. Realistically, I think they are. But the beauty of this system has left a, still a handful of cars basically under a blanket racing for a couple other spots that will be handed out off points. And, Steve, I think you brought up the best point there. The game plan changes for a couple cars. You have two cars there in Casey Kane and Kurt Busch who most likely find themselves in a must-win position. Now, remember, there is stage points up for grabs, so that could change things a little bit with this new format. But really, when you look at that situation, they must win. Then you have the guys in the bubble, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who are going to be racing defensively. And that is something that's unnatural for a race team. It's unnatural for a race car driver to have to worry about anything other than your own race, what you're trying to achieve about going forward. So I think that when we look at this race, it's not only the pressure that mounts, but it's having to change your mentality about what you're doing that's going to be toughest. Yeah, the stages are interesting from a strategy perspective, but let's just kind of take a look at the results of yesterday's second playoff race so we can really see who's dealing with what. For just the third time in his career, Kyle Busch wins in the playoffs. So the last time he did so was in 2015 when he won the championship at Miami. He led a race side 187 laps. Kyle Larson, Matt Kenseth, Brad Kozlowski, and Martin Truex Jr. completed the top five. And if you look at some other playoff finishers, Denny Hamlin, who won in July at New Hampshire, finished in 12th. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. stayed on the good side of that cut line after rallying for 15th place. Here's what your race winner said afterwards to Rutledge Wood. Cal picking up win number three of the year. Rowdy Burns is who it looked like you were coming through that smoke on the back stretch. In that crazy moment, you make through without a scratch on it and come back to win. How did that happen? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but you're right. That was, uh, that was pretty intense. That was some days of thunder stuff over there. You couldn't see anything. I mean, it was just a wall of smoke over there uh, off of turn two. But um, yeah, I listened to the spotter and basically was told to stop. So I'm like, it sounds like a good idea. And, uh, and just checked up as much as I could. I, of course, I was trying not to get run into from behind. I didn't know who was coming behind me. I know Matt was there. And, but uh, all in all, just a great day. Great day for this M&M's Caramel team, all these guys on this Joe Gibbs Racing Camry. Uh, this thing was awesome. So uh, we ran up front all day long. We executed. We did a good job. We did what we were supposed to do. And uh, it's awesome to win here in the Granite State right in front of these fans. So we appreciate the New Hampshire Motor Speedway and the show they put on. It's awesome to, uh, to come out here every year, and, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to, to win here on this hot day. 
It certainly was. Okay, so here's the playoff leaderboard. Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch got caught up in that big wreck on lap 150. We're going to hear from both of them in just a minute. Casey Kane also had a rough day. He is last among the 16 playoff drivers. Big winner, of course, Kyle Busch, who advances to the round of 12. Kyle Larson and Brad Keselowski, other drivers moving forward in the playoffs. Is this surprising to you, Parker, when you think about the stat that we just mentioned a second ago, that this is only Kyle Busch's third career win in the playoffs? Not particularly, because if you look at the history for Kyle Busch in the playoffs, remember it was only a couple years ago that we were always talking about him imploding in the playoffs. Mentally, his race team would make mistakes. It was never going his way. If you remember many years back, he came in there as the dominant car, and everything went wrong as they got in the playoffs. And that's kind of historically what we saw out of him, but until he won that championship, and then it started to turn around. And now we're seeing the force that Kyle Busch is. You can go to a couple factors, right? Is he more, has he grown up, right? Has he become more mature? I think it's maybe some of those things, but then also we're just seeing a dominant, once again, performance out of Toyota and that Joga's racing team that he has around him because he was absolutely a force to be recommended the whole time. Steve, the numbers for Toyota at Loudoun are, they don't even seem real. I mean, when you look at them, it's incredible. 299 out of 300 laps yesterday, but overall, we'll just run through some of the numbers here, Steve of the number of laps led by the Toyotas. Why are they doing this at this track? You know, Caroline, I've tried to look through all of the data to come up with a reason why Toyota continues to lead all the laps. And all I can find is that not only do they have fast race cars, but the last handful of races at New Hampshire have been relatively straightforward strategy-wise. There hasn't been that moment in time where a pit strategy call had to be made. There wasn't this moment in time that flipped the field. The fast cars stay towards the front. And in Toyota's case, when someone like the 78 has an issue like getting caught in that wreck um, just yesterday in New Hampshire, another Toyota, Kyle Busch, and behind him, Matt Kenseth, stepped up and kind of took that Toyota dominance and continued it. But I think this win for Kyle Busch was very important because he has been so successful on Friday, sitting on both poles of the playoffs. But I think last week really put them on edge. They've transferred the pit crew from Daniel Suarez to Kyle Busch. They had a race-winning car last week, and yet they fumbled the ball on pit road with a couple mistakes that basically took the 18 out of that race. Now, this week at New Hampshire, they had another race-winning car, and it really came down to leadership. And it's funny Parker says it. You know, I'm not sure if it's maturity out of Kyle Busch. I'm not sure if it's his relationship with Adam Stevens, but they were very vocal. They said, this is the team we're going to take into the playoffs. We made a swap for a reason. We're sticking with it. And if they would have had more issues on Pet Road, they would have had to live by those words or perhaps die by those words in their playoff hopes. Instead, the pit crew stepped up. They kept their track position on the racetrack, and then when the 78 had their issues, the 18 was free and clear, and he really wasn't challenged for the rest of the day. I, Steve, I think I figured it out. So Toyota USA lists their headquarters as Plano, Texas, but I actually believe it's Concord, New Hampshire at the Magic Mile. That's what it's actually <laughs> become is what we figured out here. But, hey, look, I, I think the thing is with this, that's another bad joke, right? I think the you thing know, is. You're telling bad jokes all the time. All day here. This is like your new thing. <laughs> Just dropping these Just bad, bad jokes. jokes. Just something to lighten Continue. it up. But nonetheless, okay. I think, you know, one thing we're seeing here that I don't think many teams can explain, and that is we understand where Toyota may have the advantage and what they've worked to have that advantage in terms of the mile and a half tracks and some of the tracks where 
arrow is very important and that sort of thing. But there's no way to explain why at a flat one-mile racetrack, those cars continually find themselves leading the most laps, being up front, winning the races. And I think when you look at what they were doing in that race, at many times, the 18 and the 78 car were two to three tenths better than the rest of the field. And remember, this is the best of the best in the world in that garage throughout there that are two to three tenths slower than those two cars. So there's just something that they've figured out that they have a knack for. If it's something that Joe Gibbs Racing has figured out that obviously filtered to the 78 and therefore it is a Toyota known thing about New Hampshire, whatever it is, there's not many things that we can point to to explain that's why they're so good there. It just doesn't add up. All right, for now, let's go back to the game changer that happened on lap 150, one of the key turning points in the race on Sunday. Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch, of course, both Stuart Haas playoff drivers getting caught up in that smoke-filled wreck. And we have a four wreck cars, on the back stretch. In trouble. Here's so Kevin Harvick. Everyone tried to stop, but there's contact. The 41 gets into him. He couldn't see. Also piling into them. The 78's in it as well. The 78, 88 is backwards on the back stretch as well. They were sideways as the four was sliding sideways. Now there's more contact made as the 78 and the 88 trying to get going the right direction. Austin Dillon and Kevin Harvick were battling for position and couldn't tell from that view if there was contact or not, but Kevin Harvick goes around. And you see the smoke, as you mentioned, Rick, basically blinding on the backstretch. None of these cars can see as they come through. A couple cars already into the wall, probably couldn't even see the wall through all that smoke. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's it's tough when you're running where we were. We were just trying to limp it to the to the stage two, and I heard car spinning off two in my in my ear. I saw smoke up ahead. A lot of times they'll come back up, and I tried to leave a high side or a low side, and then boom! As soon as the smoke cleared, I'm looking at Harvick's door. I mean, my teammate, and we're running for playoffs, both of us. And it's just a shame that. The handling's off, and we're both running where we were, uh, but we were still going to fight all the way to the end, but now we don't have a chance. I mean, I, I cannot understand the bad luck that we're having. Any reason, you think, for the contact from the three for you? Um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I know as, as I got sideways there, I tried to get the thing mowed down and pointed in the right direction, and it snapped back the other way, and, um, you know, I tried to lock it down, and it was too far up across the racetrack. I knew I was probably worse off at that particular point, so... Once it turned back right and I was in trouble, I should have just tried to keep it left, but I couldn't really tell where I was with all the smoke and everything that, that was uh, happening. Uh, three just turned us and just got got sideways there up off the corner and I, I thought I could get it locked down and then it snapped back to the left and, and came back to the, snapped back to the right and, and came across the racetrack and I tried to lock it down too late and should have just tried to lock it down a little bit sooner. Steve, what's happened to Kurt Busch has been one of the most surprising things for me so far over the course of these playoffs, only because our analysts like Jeff Burton and Dale Jarrett heading in really identified him and his team as one of the teams to watch. When you look at what happened on Sunday on lap 150 in that wreck, give us a real assessment of how that one singular moment has really affected both of these Stuart Haas drivers now. Well, I think, Carolyn, what that moment at New Hampshire showed is how this system works. Because the four, I don't think, was doing anything wrong. There was contact by the three. He spun around. That's racing. And the 41 of Kurt Busch, I think, had zero option. Other than perhaps saying he could have been running in front of the four, which is always very easy to say after an accident. I don't think he did anything wrong. His description was very accurate. The smoke cleared. There was his teammate, and he ran into him. But after this accident, with both cars retired to the garage, it became very clear the value of the regular season. And what I mean by that are those playoff points. The four of Kevin Harvick 
entered the playoff standings with a bucket full of playoff points. Kurt Busch did not. The four of Kevin Harvick had an okay run to Chicago. The 41 of Kurt Busch did not. And the difference is very clear. Kevin Harvick is plus 25, Kurt Busch minus 17, both involved at the same wreck at New Hampshire. So this just proves that the 26 races that led up to the playoffs and the value of those 26 races is real. It is tangible. And I think it's going to be even a bigger discussion point as we get later into the playoffs. Steve, I'd go a step further on Kevin Harvick's run at Chicago land, though, to say that it was a great run because he garnered so many stage points, therefore giving himself this big gap to, the, obviously, the bubble. And therefore, it's kind of in a safer position as he goes into Dover. But I think we should go back to figure out how did this wreck occur. So what was happening at the time was actually what Kevin Harvick had told me before the race is he was worried that his car wasn't good on the long run. And it was showed up in the first stage, and then it really showed up in the second stage where he had a litany of handling issues in that four car, and he was going backwards hard. He would lost, I think, five or six positions that time as they were coming to the end of the stage. As a driver in that position, you're just trying to hold on to anything you can. That same point, Austin Dillon was going forward. He was passing cars. His car was best at the end of a stage, so he was doing everything he could to get any point possible or any position possible at the end of the stage, and those two collided. That's a racing incident. From there, though, what happened with Kevin was he was actually trying to drive the car away from the outside wall. But what he said there is when it spun around, he was still in the throttle. He didn't know where he was. And when Kurt was coming along, he assumed, seeing smoke, that normally what would happen is a car would spin to the inside. Well, actually, the four was sitting in the outside of the racetrack or up next to the outside wall, and he runs into him. But in Kurt's position, he did everything right. He did, as a driver, 90% of the time, if not more than that, you would head in that situation, go to the outside wall, thinking that car that just spun is most likely gone to the inside. And unfortunately, the four car was sitting there. Well, one of the drivers that was able to kind of narrowly escape the racing incident was the eventual race winner in Kyle Busch. And I know when we're looking at the video, many people said, how on earth did he make that move to squeeze by? And he mentioned that there was a car in front of him at the time, so that offered a little bit of help, but not much real estate right there. <laughs> no, not at all. And that was incredible. And I'll tell you, listening to a lot of the spotters as it, this went down, a lot of them assumed maybe that an engine blew and there was oil on the racetrack. That was one of the things, as they saw, cars pile in there they're thinking okay you know these guys can't even stop not really realizing that the smoke with combined with the sun was blocking their view and I think Kyle said it best he was told to stop and so he basically came to a stop and and when you do that on a racetrack though remember this it's not as simple to say okay I'll just come to a stop and everything in front of me I won't hit it remember you got to worry about the cars coming behind you it's just like on the road you've got to look in the mirror so that's a very tough position to be in and it just worked out for him all right let's get Nate Ryan back into the mix so Nate you've been looking at some fan reaction uh, to the New Hampshire race on social what are you seeing well so far Caroline actually I'm seeing a little bit of reaction from the day before the New Hampshire race going back to the final practice where NASCAR had Joey Logano in his car throughout the duration sitting there on a very hot day in, in Loudon New Hampshire a few fans have asked about did NASCAR make the right call, essentially? And this is timely because Steve O'Donnell, NASCAR's chief racing development officer, addressed this this morning on SiriusXM NASCAR, in which he said NASCAR might reconsider this. The reason they had Joey Logano in the car for the entire duration of practice was because that's what they do when they have practice holds for drivers. But this was the first time that they had a driver that had to set up the entirety of practice. In the past, they'd hold drivers for 15 minutes or a half hour. They'd never had a driver miss the entire practice and have to sit in the car on pit road for the entire practice. So Steve O'Donnell said NASCAR is probably going to look at 
maybe re-examining that rule for 2018. And obviously, a lot of fans are interested in that. I think the main takeaways for fans are, you know, what purpose did that really serve in, in having Joey Logano sit there? And was it over the line on NASCAR's part to do it? Well, <laughs> I'm going to go pro driver on this one and say <laughs> it did not have any purpose. Why is he seeing that car? I'm glad we're going to reevaluate the rule because it's ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. If, if, if a guy has enough penalties to miss practice, then just leave the car on Jackson's in the garage and he doesn't participate in practice. I think it's definitely something that we need to look at immediately to say that is not the way we need to conduct the rule. All right, so we have Nate standing over there. We didn't get him a chair, but he looks yeah, comfortable. He looks so we're going to keep him in the corner for a little he while. He looks studious, keep, Professor Nate. He's going to keep monitoring social for us. How you doing? You okay I'm over good. there? Yeah, I don't need a chair. Okay, we're going to get stand. you a water. We'll get you a small fan. <laughs> whatever it takes to keep you uh, monitoring social. Coming up, though, first elimination Sunday of the playoffs, just six days away which of the bubble drivers should feel more confident than the others as they head for dover the race within the race next on nascar america formula one is right here on nbcsn and after 19 years this is going to be the final malaysian grand prix racing at sepang starting saturday night at 2 30 eastern 11 30 pacific right here on nbcsn so make sure you're with us for that Sunday at New Hampshire, three drivers joined Martin Truex Jr. in the round of 12, leaving eight spots up for grabs heading into the elimination race at Dover. And as we take a look at the playoff leaderboard, you can see how close things are right around the cut line. One driver who's off to a strong start is Matt Kenseth. Consecutive top 10 finishes at Chicago and Loudoun have given Kenseth a 43-point cushion above the cut line. Let's hear what Matt and a few other playoff drivers had to say following the race. Well, I mean, if you can't win, you want to finish as high as you can, you know, so if you can't run second, you want to run third, but um, we really need to win, really do, really need to win bad, so um, I'm a little let down we didn't get it, you know, the longer runs, thought maybe we'd have a shot, but we just need to be a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a, a frustrating summer, obviously, and I think, I think we've just been swinging too hard at times and making um, not ideal situation much worse. And the last couple of weeks, last three or four weeks, we just settled in and, and got what we could. Um, today we left some points on the table, which which isn't fun, but the last couple of weeks I think we finished where we ran. We were kind of in that fifth to tenth range all day, and except we got home with a decent finish. So uh, we worked hard on this racetrack. It's, it's definitely not been one of my best, but uh, it's nice to get a decent run here and uh, finish okay and uh, go on to a place like Dover where we run pretty decent. So. Hopefully we can survive next week and um, move on. Frankly, for the weekend we had, and as bad as we struggled today, um, it could have been a lot worse. So I hate to be that way. I hate to be okay with 11th. But um, considering our weekend, I thought our Kelly Blue Book team did a good job. And to get this backup car out and not have an Allen and Josh here was, uh, was a challenge. And to finish where we did was a challenge. So we'll get on to Dover and hopefully improve there. Well, we ran really well today. Um, it's just it's just really hard to pass here. Uh, but our cars have been, I mean, honestly, we've been kind of that, like, 6th to 12th place car every single week. And that's where we ran again today. Um, both Loudon races, we weren't able to finish as well as, uh, as we ran earlier in the race. But, uh, yeah, happens sometimes. You never know. And it, we had a good weekend. You know, overall, we had a, I had a good time. The guys did a great job. And we worked hard and uh, just didn't come out with a good result. But it was... Uh, it was new and fresh and pretty fun. Uh, we'll try again next week, and we'll finish the year as strong as we possibly can. Steve, one of the drivers we didn't hear from there was Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who hit the wall early, and everybody was going, uh-oh, not again. How was he able to rebound for such an impressive finish the way that he did? Well, it was an impressive battle for Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and while I don't think a 15th is anything he's going to hang his hat on to say, hey, I'm on my way to Miami, 
I do think that it was a big step for this race team to overcome that lap three incident getting into the wall. I actually spent some time with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on Saturday, and I asked him, you know, how's your car? How's the weekend? And his head was down. He said, this car does not drive good. I don't like it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for 300 laps to put ourselves in the position to continue through the playoffs. And then I asked him about Dover, and he lit up, instantly had excitement on his face, and he told me that if we can somehow leave New Hampshire the same way we came in, which, remember, was minus four, below the cut line. He said, I would consider that a victory, consider that a successful New Hampshire. Well, they did better than that. They ended up zero. And while I hate that strategy to look ahead to Dover, Parker, he did a very good job of just not giving up the fight. And I'm telling you, every time I looked up, it was a fight. The 17 never had clean racetrack. He was two, three wide getting pushed around. And at the end, though, a top 15 goes to Dover, heads up against Jamie McMurray, Kurt Busch, the three. So it's going to be a great battle to watch at a track that Ricky Stenhouse actually thinks is one of his better tracks at, at the Monster Mile. Steve, he muscled out a finish, no doubt about that. And when you think about this race team, I think for most people that filled out a grid, a playoff grid, would have had him out in the first round. I, on the other hand, went with the crazy opinion that I felt like he could make it through. I thought this team would pull off something unbelievable, and that's what we saw at New Hampshire. He hit the wall again in the, next, the second playoff race in a row, but then fought back from that, as you said, muscled his way up there and got a good finish. And I know it's not much to say, but this is what's so cool about the playoffs, seeing a team that most likely most people wrote off, is an underdog, no doubt, probably looked at this first round thinking it was the hardest round there is while other teams felt like they're going to cruise through it to Miami and now he's going to find himself in a position where if he just has a good race or races well at Dover, which he's excited about, he could be going on the second All round. All right, so no chalk for you in your playoff bracket, but what about the driver that a lot of people identify with the track we're headed to next in Jimmy Johnson, the 48? I'd say keep an eye on him. I spoke to Chad Knauss Sunday morning. I spoke to Jimmy as well just before the race, and they had a tremendous amount of confidence, and I saw great speed in this 48 car. I know he finished 14th, but he ran around fifth to six all day and I think that 48 car is primed position to find themselves fighting for an eighth championship that being said there is a group that has shined further above the rest Martin Truex Jr. Kyle Busch Kyle Larson continuing to run up front in these playoffs are we really looking at three of the championship four this fall in Miami when you consider what these drivers have done more on their dominance next on NASCAR America Well, it is a NASCAR playoffs doubleheader weekend from Dover. First, the Xfinity Series Saturday at 3 Eastern here on NBCSN, and then Sunday at 2 Eastern, an elimination race for the Monster Energy Cup Series. That one also right here on NBCSN. The California kid, Kyle Larson. He, Chip Ganassi, and Chevrolet are going to victory lane in Fontana. Car 42, Kyle Larson, number one in Michigan International Speedway. Look at this in victory lane. You don't see that very often. Kyle Larson coming to the line with Truex chasing. Will win his third time in a row here in Michigan. Kyle Larson wins at Richmond. really been a phenomenal season for Kyle Larson and he's hoping to cap it off with his first championship. Larson's going to be our special guest Wednesday on NASCAR America from the Hall of Fame. These are great shows. Make sure you tune in. It's at 5 Eastern right here on NBCSN. So with Larson in mind, let's look at the last eight races in the Cup Series going back to Pocono in late July. Seven of the eight races have been won by either Larson, Kyle Busch, or more Martin Truex Jr. Steve, can you envision a championship for Miami that does not include Truex, Kyle Busch, and Kyle Larson? 
Well, Caroline, I could draw a roadmap for disappointment for one of these three competitors when you talk about the round of 12 and then really focus in on the round of eight, Martinsville, Phoenix, Texas, there is opportunity to make mistakes, to get caught up in an accident, much like what we saw happen to Kevin Harvick at New Hampshire. But to be quite clear, I have all three of those drivers in my final four, my championship for racing at Miami. I think their regular season performance has given them a huge head start in playoff points. Their performance over the last eight races, as you just pointed out, is unbelievable. And it's not just who's winning, but who's leading laps, who's winning stages, who's dominating and control of the tempo of all of these races. It's those three drivers. So while there is a chance and everyone needs to watch because we've seen crazier things happen in NASCAR and this crazy pressure filled schedule of the playoffs, those three, without a doubt, have to be the three favorites to line up in Miami. But when they do, remember. Points don't matter when they get to Miami. It's winner take all. So I can't imagine when those three guys, if they're fortunate enough to make it to Miami, I'm not sure who the fourth is going to be, but they got their work cut out for them. That's the question, Steve. Who's the fourth? Because I think I have to disagree with there's a chance that those three don't get there. They're going to get there. And my, my point being is that even if they were to have a bad race in the round of eight, these three drivers are so fast at every type of racetrack we go to that they have the same mentality that the four car of Kevin Har Harvick had for many years, which is even if we have a bad race, we can go win the next week. And they can. And therefore, I really feel these are your three favorites to be in Miami, which begs the question, okay, who's the fourth? And I think that's what's fun here. You have the 48 car, which most likely, in my opinion, is looking very likely to go there. You have the four car, who has at times looked good enough to do it. At Chicagoland, he looked good enough. So I think when you look at that fourth position, these three have really separated themselves. It's that fourth position that's the X factor right now of saying who could get in there. Steve, what about the stage wins and stage racing and how that has impacted everything when you look at what Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Busch have done compared to all these other drivers. It's more than half. Well, I think what it shows is it's very simple. Everybody wants to know the strategy. How do you win stages? It's very simple. You have the fastest race car because that is what the 18 and the 78 have. They continue to lead laps. They continue to dominate the races, and they continue to stack up these points that are awarded at the end of the stages. That's what makes them so difficult. As Parker just said, if they get behind, not only with a win, but they can maybe point their way back into it. The only difference is, if one of these cars do make a mistake, do trip up, if I'm Martin Trex Jr. and Kyle Busch has an issue and he's on the ropes, I can tell you I am driving my guts out not to let him win a race. If I can eliminate one of my toughest competitors before Miami, that would be my number one goal. And I think that is going to happen in that round of eight. It is not that simple. Anything can happen at Martinsville. Texas is somewhat of a repave, and Phoenix is unique to say the least with its shape and its surface. So there is no foregone conclusion why they're the favorites. I'm not ready to uh, give them a parking spot in Miami quite yet. And that's the key, Steve. I agree with that with you, that if you are able to make see one of these three start to struggle and you're one of these three that you think you can maybe keep them out by winning a race or something like that in the round of eight, that is the key. And I think one that those three are particularly watching, or two of them at least, is Kyle Larson, knowing how good he is at Homestead Miami Speedway, knowing how much he has adapted to that speedway and how fast he is. I think those two are very are, are scared very much that when they go there, that he could, even not having the fastest car, could find a way to be faster than them. And I listened to Martin Truex Jr. talk about the fact that the 78 team is going to test at Homestead Miami Speedway. And he doesn't agree with that because he feels like when they test at places, it's not always the best. They don't bring the best. 
but they're going because they know how good the 42 is there. Yeah, Kyle Larson loves that track. But you do think that those three drivers are going to make it all the way to Homestead, like so. you just said. Yes. Okay. All right, we're going over to Nate Ryan in his social media corner, hanging out over there. What you got, hey, Nate? What's I, going on? I got uh, a few questions, Carolyn, about the third-place finisher in Sunday's race. That was Matt Kenseth finishing third at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, including this one from Twitter, somebody asking, any feeling where Matt Kenseth lands next season? I've gotten, again, a few of these on Facebook as well. I think the underlying question here, guys, is back-to-back top tens to open the round of 16 for Matt Kenseth at Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, almost a surefire bet now, I think, to advance to the round of 12. I think the underlying sense here from fans is, does this increase the chances of Matt Kenseth getting a ride for 2018? I don't know if Steve and Parker have some thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, Steve, why don't you weigh in on that? I don't think it's a performance issue at all for Matt Kenseth. I think it's a business issue. I think Matt Kenseth is a very successful race car driver who could push the pedal down, make points, and race for wins, but I don't think that's what it's about. I think that he is in the later part of his career, and when you look at the business model of NASCAR and a company, perhaps a Fortune 500 company that wants to jump on board with the driver to have a long-term marketing plan, I don't see long-term and Matt Kenseth going in the same sentence. So, I honestly don't have a seat for Matt Kenseth next year, and I hate to say that because I think he adds something to the cup level. He makes the races better. He forces the competitors to be better. I would love to find a seat for him, but when I get the, uh, the Ouija board out and start moving all my pieces around, I struggle to get a seat for Matt Kenseth. Musical chairs wasn't his friend this year. Nate, what else do you have? Uh, Sunday's race, Carolyn, at New Hampshire, the final time that New Hampshire will host a playoff race. And we got some fan questions, one from Twitter about that, asking, do we think NASCAR is doing the right thing by taking New Hampshire out of the playoffs for next year to add a mile and a half as the opener next year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway? Now, I, I should preface this probably by saying that even though we're adding the mile and a half to the schedule next year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, even though NASCAR is doing that, there will be a mile and a half removed as Charlotte Motor Speedway moves to the road course. So essentially, you're still staying at the same number of mile and a half tracks next year at, at five. But is that subtraction of the one mile oval at New Hampshire a good thing or a bad thing for the playoffs? Well, it's definitely a shame, Nate, that we are finding ourselves taking a race away to add another race. But I think when you look at the difference in the markets and the excitement around going to Las Vegas, knowing that city, how much they support the one race they have now, I think it's an exciting thing for the sport to have that chance to be in a larger market to start off the playoffs and have a little bit more fanfare around it. Yeah, good stuff for the fans. And Kyle Busch certainly knows his way around social media after a rocky start Chicago land. New pit crew responding with a winning performance on Sunday. We're going to hear what crew chief Adam Stevens had to say about it in our pit crew review when NASCAR America comes back. back everybody joe gibbs racing didn't have a single win in the first 18 races of the season but since that time they have won five of the last 10 two by denny hamlin and three by kyle bush and bush's latest victory on sunday at new hampshire was his first with a new pit crew on his 18 car which leads us to our pit crew review kyle bush is gonna win in the granite state tire carry on the 18 car. Today was a great day. Um, it was great to bounce back from last week. A little uncharacteristic of us. And this week, you know, it was all about being smooth. We had pit stall one. Just didn't want to make a mistake today. We just stayed on top of our game, dealt with what we had, and came out on top. 
Sunday's race in New Hampshire was the second following a pit crew swap between Joe Gibbs Racing's Kyle Busch and Daniel Suarez, who did not make the playoffs. In the opener at Chicagoland, the new 18 crew had several problems that relegated Busch to a 15th place finish. But on Sunday, they managed to put it all together, and they are now on to the next round. The crew chief for the 18, Adam Stevens, spoke with Kelly Stavis after Sunday's win. It's just been a while, so it's a bit of a relief. Um, you know, we show speed every weekend, and we've had speed all year. And we could have four or five more wins if we had a little bit of luck go our way. And today we did have a little luck go our way. And we had uh, good speed when it, we needed it and made a couple good adjustments, and we were there at the end. I imagine you were holding your breath there. What were you thinking as you saw this cloud of smoke and didn't know where your car was? Well, thankfully, I was a little, we were already through by the time I figured out what the heck was going on, uh, so I didn't have time to get too puckered up there, but uh, I've never seen anything like that. That was, that was wild. Well, we've been making a, a, we've had a lot of talk, talks about your pit crew. You made the swap today. They were clean. What does it say about them to rebound in such a fashion? Well, like we talked um, before the race, you know, we didn't make that decision based off of one week's data. It's been months and months, and, uh, you know, a lot of people put a lot of thought into it. To it and it wasn't something that we take lightly and, and we weren't going to reverse course based off of one week of some very special circumstances and like I told you I put as much fault on myself on the uh, penalty as I do anybody else and uh, you know we cleaned up some communication issues you can have meetings and talk all you want but until you're on pit road you know you're and you're uh, in the fire uh, it's really hard to cover everything that might happen so uh, you know they're trained professionals and they bounce back and uh, we had a good day today. Steve, how far does this win go to reset, so to speak, for this team who had a really rough first weekend of the playoffs and now has moved the team on to the next round? Well, I think from the driver's seat, it goes a long way for Kyle Busch to kind of temper some of the momentum the 78 was gaining. But for the team itself, the pit crew and for Adam Stevens, I do think this was a major, major breakthrough because while they were just a couple mistakes last week, the microscope was definitely on them. And you know, we talk a lot about the parts and pieces in the car and Toyota and being fast and setups and shocks and springs, but this had nothing to do with this. This was purely about leadership. And I think Adam Stevens, Kyle Busch, and everyone at Joe Gibbs Racing found a way to support that pit crew to give them the confidence to go over the wall and do their job. You heard Matt Vermeer. They felt like last week was an anomaly. That's not what they expect out of themselves. It looks like they admit to their mistakes. But it's easy to say, like he said, you can have all the meetings, but at some point you have to kind of jump back into the boiling water. And that's what this 18 pit crew did in New Hampshire. So I give a very big tip of the hat to Adam Stevens, Kyle Busch, and whoever else at Joe Gibbs Racing in the leadership side that gave those six men the confidence to jump over there to do their job without feeling the pressure of the week before. Steve, as a driver, I have to agree with you, being that you're a crew chief, in that I love seeing that leadership out of Adam Stevens. I love seeing him taking the reins there, being confident in the decision, being confident in his crew, in this race team, because that's what it takes to win championships. And I think that's what really resonated throughout there. And you heard it from Kyle himself in Victory Lane when he, he said, yeah, you know, could have been jitters, could have been this, that, that made them make the mistake at Chicago. But Adam owned up to it. He said, you know, it's as much my fault as their fault, and therefore we win and lose as a team. And I think that was really key. And so I just think that's great that you see a leader like that to step up, take the reins, and say, this is my race team. I tell them what to do, and we win and lose this team. Yeah, and he did it from the minute they had trouble at Chicagoland all the way through to exactly. now they're moving on to the next round. All right, coming up, we're going to look at some upcoming elimination race statistics at Dover. The Monster Mile has a reputation of playing havoc with the playoffs, and we'll talk about that next.
Dover's great. It's tough, physically tough, mentally tough. It's really challenging and, and makes the best drivers come on out. There's a lot of pressure on, on everybody. I think you have to lay it all out there and, and know that there's no second chances. You definitely have to have your A game. You gotta be clutch, you gotta win the race. Steve, you have promised us some action at Dover. I've been waiting for it in these <laughs> playoffs. <is> it? <laughs> Talk to us. Where are we going to see it? When are we going to see it? We want the playoff moment. Well, I'm going to tell you the moment is going to happen at Dover, but it's not going to be flashy, and I don't even think it's going to be near the front of the field. I don't think the drivers that are around the cut line have winning speed. I don't think they can overcome Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., but there will be a moment, and it won't be flashy, but it'll be much like what Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did at New Hampshire. One of those teams, perhaps Austin Dillon, maybe Ryan Newman, maybe Ricky Stenhouse strikes for two weeks in a row, but one of those cars down in the, near the cut line, under that blanket, basically no advantage, no points. They're going to go out, and they're going to do something special. And it might be on a restart. It might be a green flag pit stop. There's no telling when it will come during the race. But that moment, that special thing that they do on the racetrack will be the single thing that keeps their playoff hopes alive. That's enough reason for me to go to the booth and call 400 fun miles because <laughs> it's not just reality. It's sports. The pressure is unreal. Four guys are going to leave here with their playoff dreams dashed. Who's going to step out of the fog and do something special? That's what I'm excited to see. Haven't we seen some evidence of this, Nate, over yeah. the last couple of years yeah. in the playoffs, the last three years, these drivers kind of emerging from below yeah. the cut line? I mean, Steve's right, Carolyn. I, I think like last year for me, it was Austin Dillon, I think, breaking his way through and, and coming up with a, a really impressive run at Dover after crashing the previous week at New Hampshire. 2015, Dale Jr. and Jamie McMurray had a real spirited battle, Parker, for that um, you know final transfer spot, I believe. So I, I think we've seen that every year. I think Steve's right. I think there will be a moment. And I think you have to add in how mentally tough this place is, as we heard Casey Keene say, but also how physically tough, and not only on the drivers, but on the cars. Remember, this place is incredibly tough. You go off into turn one, and it feels like you drop off the side of a building before you land into the center of one, and it punishes these cars. And we've seen cars break here numerous times because they can't take the punishment that this racetrack provides. So all those things adding together and an elimination, you know what it means, Carolyn? What does it mean? For four of them, it's going to be over <laughs> in Dover. <laughs> Nate. I had to hit it. It's not the Nate. first time I've heard that today. It's the first time you, everybody else is going to hear it. Do you see what I have to deal <laughs> with here with Parker Kligerman with the, with the puns and the weird rhyming the and jokes. the bad jokes? Never knew a millennial Terrible. could have bad jokes until I met Parker Kligerman. There's a first for everything, right, Steve? I'm glad I'm all the way down here and I don't have to listen to him but for these 60 minutes while we're on the air. All right, we have got a big Hall of Fame show on Wednesday, and of course we're going to be talking about Dover every day right up until the weekend, so make sure you're with us here on NASCAR America all week. That's it for now, but you can always Log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We'll be back Tuesday, our regular time of 5 p.m. Eastern with Scandal, New Hampshire. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.